the with the Acts of the Apostles, and uh, I think it's been very good. Um, and we've done all the good bits. <laughs> now <laughs> we're going to come down <laughs> with a bit of a bump. Um, Before I read the scriptures, I, yesterday we, my daughter was 44. Sorry, Liz shouldn't say your age, should I? But mum already said it earlier. Uh, the games. Uh, and at the table, she got a bottle of lemonade that she'd had for a while. And she opened the top and it exploded. <laughs> Have you seen a bottle of lemonade? It went whoosh. Martin was covered and had to go and change his clothing. And uh, it just went everywhere. And I, I sat there quietly thinking, and it just made me think, you know, those guys, when they win Formula One, they shake that champagne, and then they spurt it over one another, don't they? And I thought, when Liz did that, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit did. When Jesus went back to heaven and it says and received the promise of the spirit from the father it was like champagne being fizzed all over a winner because that's what jesus is isn't he he's a winner he's overcome he's done it he's broken through and done all that adam couldn't do the first adam the second adam comes and wins and God is so delighted that he just pours all this champagne over him and then he goes down all his drenched garments and comes all over us as well. So this so-called Pentecost Sunday, the champagne of heaven, the best wine, has been poured out on us. And we don't have to keep on saying, Lord send it, because he sent it. It's here. Can you hear the laugh of love? I've loved going through the Acts of the Apostles because uh, uh, th this chapter we're going to read, and I'll read it in a minute, is the first time church uh, is mentioned. And uh, last week we read that Jesus was the, the chief cornerstone. Uh, the, the, the awkward shape that didn't fit in. And then Peter picks that up because that comes from Psalm 118. And Jesus himself said it a number of times. And Peter picks it up and says uh, that we are living stones this morning. You are part of that chief cornerstone. You are a living stone this morning. Only weird people look at stones and say they're wonderful. Walking on the road and say, Oh, look at that. It's a stone. Look at that. It's fantastic. <coughs> you don't, do you? Not unless you're weird. <laughs> I mean, if it was a panther or a leopard or some beautiful thing, you'd say, Oh, look at that. But a living stone, I mean, that's an oxymoron, isn't it? Stones are inert, they're just full of 
plasma and sediment from millions of years, and yet we're called living stones because we've been built this morning into the chief cornerstone. You know, when we were taking the bread and the wine, I thought, and those stones, they're not held together by cement and mortar, they are held together with the precious blood of Jesus. That's what holds you and me together this morning. Oh yes, the Holy Spirit. Precious blood of Jesus. Here we are this morning, living stones. Turn to one another and say, do you know you're a living stone? And that's because God is an architect and a builder. And he's building, he's building something. Isn't that wonderful? What do you do, God, all day? What's your job? Well, I'm an architect and a builder. We're going to have some work done soon on our front, hopefully. We all bricks and mortar. We would be making a big mistake if we thought that this was the habitation of God, this building. Not, is it? We are an habitation of God through the Spirit, with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Wow. Living stones. I love it. I always laugh at that thing in, um, this is a little diversion, uh, when it says, Mr. What's his name, Matt Livingstone, and said, Dr. Livingstone, I presume. And I've always thought it should have gone on and said, Dr. Livingstone, I presume you know that your mother is really worried about you. You've been missing for 40 years. Anyway, that's my little joke. So this is um, Isaiah Acts even. Yeah. Here we go. It's, uh, we're up to chapter 5, and it says that awful word, but. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you've conceived this deed in your heart? You haven't lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last great fear came over all who heard it. This is a new church, this is a church plant. And uh, the young man got up and covered him up and carried him out and buried him. There was an interval of three hours and his wife came in not knowing what had happened. This is just awful. Peter responded, tell me 
whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, yes, that was the price. Peter said, why is it you agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard these things. And at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. The people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added. These are not numbers now, these are multitudes. And I I tried to work out what a multitude was. I think it's thousands. To such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. And also the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. And then the high priests rose up, laid hands on the apostles because they were filled with jealousy, and put them in a public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates and took them out and said, Go and stand and speak to the people in the temple. This, the whole message of this life, I mean, it doesn't say go, uh, go and tell them to come to church. It says go and tell them the message of this life. Because this is about the life of Jesus. Abundant life. Maynard's favourite verse. Upon hearing this, they entered the temple and began to teach. The high priest and his associates came and they called the council together, even all the senate, and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. But the officers who did come couldn't find them in the prison. And they returned and reported back saying, We found the prison house locked quite securely and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened up, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were really perplexed as to what would come of this. But someone came and reported to them, The men you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence because they were afraid they might be stoned by the people. And when they brought them before the council, the high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles said, We must obey God rather than man. All right? We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers. Do you know, I I said last week that they made a new law that outlawed preaching. And they said, no, you can't do it because we just made a new law. I don't know if you read in the, the, saw the news last night in France, they made a new law. Francis Holland has made this new law. Um, and this new law, if you disagree with it, and a lot of us will disagree with it morally, uh, he said, but now you have to obey the law. You have to obey French law. 
And that's what they'll do. They will legislate against us and say, you cannot preach in the name. It's not here yet, but it's coming. And we've got to get this verse into our heads. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to the right hand to be a prince and a saviour, to grant repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now comes a man called Gamaliel who was a professor and a theologian and a very clever man. When they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. But a Pharisee called Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by the people, stood up, gave orders to the men to be put outside and said this, Men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. Some time ago, uh, Judas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of 400 joined him, but he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After that, Judas of Galilee rose up in the same way and drew away people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of God, it will be overthrown. But if it's not of God, you won't be able to overthrow them. Sorry, if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be found fighting against God. They took his advice, and after calling the apostles, they flogged them, and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then release them. So they went on their way in the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. I love the public reading of God's word. I think there's a boredom with language today. I think... uh, But never do I get bored of hearing the word of God spoken. It's wonderful. Now, we do come down with a a bit of a bump. You know, when you go out preaching, it's one thing to preach your party piece and get everybody excited. It's another thing to stand in the same church and preach on a regular basis. Any of you who've done that will know. Uh, And some of you know my stories so well now, you must be mighty bored with them. This, I think, was the first occasion of someone being slain in the spirit. Um, And what Luke does, he he says, before you look at something that goes wrong, I want you to look at something that's going right. What he does, he points to a man called Barnabas. And he says, look at this man. Barnabas is called the son of encouragement. They were living in what has been called, and it isn't, primitive communism, because they actually owned private property, and they were selling the property because they wanted to give to those in need in the church. Thousands of people were getting saved, thousands of them were leaving their jobs and needed feeding. So these guys, when they came together, um, if they'd got private property, which they had some of them, they sold it and they laid it at the apostles' feet. Um, And Barnabas, Luke tells us, son of encouragement, he goes on to work with Paul. Uh, He goes on to do a great... If if I want to be like anyone in the Bible, I have to confess, 
I really do love the character of Barnabas. He must have been a very big-hearted man who always encouraged people whenever he stood up uh, to preach or to counsel. I love this person called Barnabas. And this son of encouragement sells a field, gives all the money, lays it at the feet of the apostles. Now it looks as though, now just to hold on for this, because some people say that Ananias and Sapphira were not Christians. They had just come in, they were imposers. They, they just wanted to find out about what was going on. I don't know if I think that is true. I think these people probably were around. They saw what was happening in the church. Um, they must have been involved uh, at different levels. Their names give the game away anyway. Beautiful, and I've forgotten the other name. But here they are, and they are observing this man called Barnabas, and they're seeing the response of the crowd and the kudos that it appears that he is getting. And so they say, let's do the same, but they conspire together. They've got 500 pounds. Um, let's give 250 and say that's all we've got. Now, if they'd said, look, we've got 500, we're going to give 250 because we're a bit broke, um, is that okay? Now, I'm sure that would have been perfectly okay uh, if they had done that, but they didn't. They conspired to lie. Now, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit was so involved with the church at this time uh, that Peter says, you haven't lied to us, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. Now, that's an incredible thing to say. And why has Satan filled your heart? You see, at the beginning of creation, when things are going well, there is the devil. When there is a recreation, and that part of church history was quite fantastic. I mean, I don't actually believe there was a golden age of the church, you know, that we can look back on and say, oh, that was it, that was fantastic. But it was a fantastic time. It was a, a kind of recreation. But the devil turns up. See, whenever there is a work of God, the enemy will come. What the Acts of the Apostles is about is the clash of two kingdoms. It's the clash of the kingdom of heaven clashing with this present evil age. And when Jesus introduced the kingdom, the very first words he says, it says an enemy, a, a, a demon, manifested himself. Straight away. Because it's the kingdom. It's, it's, it's the world that Jesus lived in, which he brought to the earth. He brought his world with him. And he gave his world to his second body, which is the church. And the enemy is going to turn up. And he turns up and he fills their heart. And they lie. And God gives Peter a word of knowledge as he looks at them. Anyway, you could have known. Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And then Ananias falls down dead. See, here's the thing the church 
the early church copes with persecution, copes with external forces trying to rubbish it and to extinguish it. We cope with that which goes on outside. Something in us rises up. But you see, when it goes internal, when things start to go wrong, you see, this is what the enemy does. If he can't get us one way, he'll get us another way. He will try and divide us and separate us off. Now, it, it's the sin of hypocrisy, okay? It's, and, a, and a hypocrite was a mask. That's what a hypocrite, the, the actual mask was called the hypocrite. So you, you held the mask up when you were an actor. You held the, the and you were a hypocrite. So it's trying to pretend what you are when you're not really like that. It's trying to pretend, putting on a front, uh, looking good. Much better, to be honest. Well, I like this church. Much better to tell the truth and be honest rather than try and project some image about yourself that you maybe want other people to think that you are. I said to myself, what would happen if God did all this today? And why did it happen then? Try and understand me. The, the only reason I can think was that D-Day had just happened in the church. D-Day. We, we parachuted into enemy territory. We'd taken ground. The, 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 the war potentially had finished. There are lots of battles to fight. D-Day had happened, and you can't afford in an army to have fifth columnists. You can't afford to have people who are going to, in the end, just let you down. Whenever I read a passage from the scripture, you see, I always say, God, where is the grace in this? So I want to encourage you, house group leaders, I want to encourage you when you read the Bible, always say, where is the grace of God in this bit of scripture? And I think the grace of God in this bit of scripture is that the Lord said to Ananias and Sapphira, you know what, I think it's better if you come to heaven and be with me. And I just think there are times, brothers and sisters, that the Lord says, I think you should come and be with me. And that's always my dilemma, is what's happening here? Lord, are you calling this person to be with yourself? What I notice too is this. When the anointing of God comes, when the power of the Holy Spirit comes, it always flushes out the enemy. It always flushes out our sin. And you'll notice these sins, I don't know if you watch them in chapter 5. It's hypocrisy, it's jealousy, it's envy. It's all spiritual sins. And the sin that Jesus seemed to hate most of all and reserved his most vehement judgment was hypocrisy and two-facedness didn't seem to be so strong about sexual failure. People taken in adultery, he took it seriously, of course he did, but these spiritual sins. When the Holy Spirit comes, we've got to get ready for this. When the Holy Spirit comes, then that which is in us is going to come out. 
And we need to be a church where we can allow and give grace to one another to fail and to be sinners and to know forgiveness. Because if God did today what he did then, all these chairs, including the platform, would be empty. Wouldn't it? You'd be dead. Come on. You'd be dead, wouldn't you? I'd be dead. Why don't you do it today, Lord? Well, I just think God's massive grace. I think God is such a wonderful God. Because of the position we're in, sometimes we, we discover some of our friends have fallen. Men who've been in positions of authority write books and they crash out. I think, oh my goodness. Yeah, but for the grace of God, go I. One guy who's crashed out, they set up a charity for his wife to keep her going. I think, huh? What about ordinary people in the church? Just because he wrote books and was a great preacher and has blown it, why should we do that? That's chip on my shoulder, by the way. Because I'd be worried far more about ordinary people in the church. How are you getting on? See, when we say God is blessing that man or woman's ministry, God is blessing the people who are listening to them. He's not blessing that man. That man is just a channel. And we just somehow have gotten into this culture of celebrity and we build these people up and we dispossess ourselves to empower other people and we shouldn't be doing it. We should be realising that we are sons and daughters of the living God. Amen. That's just a little bit of me there. So I suppose it was vital that the church was going to advance and not be damaged at this crucial stage of its development. I've called that on the floor. I thought this morning, I was sitting there yesterday, I thought on the floor, on the fence, (coughs) on the front line. So we have more to fear with corruption within than persecution without. Got to stop being inward looking. And uh, I watched, oh, sorry, I'm not a Manchester United supporter. I don't like Alex Ferguson very much, but I had to take my hat off to him last week, didn't you? Those of you who watched it, are you aware that there are football teams out there who play and they form this archway for Ferguson and he walked through, you listen to me. Yeah. <laughs> and he walked through. And, you know, th- this is what happened. The, the crowd were all shouting his name. It's fantastic. You know, no one was saying, oh, what school did you go to? Uh, what job did you do? How much did you earn? They were too busy shouting and yelling this bloke's name. And he deserved it too. 38 trophies or whatever he's done. Fantastic. Fantastic. And that's our paradigm shift. On the fence, I'll go really quickly. This man, Gamaliel, is often held up as a great man. 
a sort of tolerant peacemaker, very popular. Um, his counsel was be careful. This was the man that, are they going because of their children? Um, this man um, was the man that taught the Apostle Paul this is Gamaliel and what he's saying is be careful uh, he's saying don't back the wrong horse here it could be God and I just thought you know, we go from on the floor to on the fence here's a man who's absolutely on the fence and saying be careful you know, I would rather have people who are really against me. The people who make the best Christians are the ones who are the most antagonistic and disagree with you and fight against you because when they become Christians, then they really are off the fence. But for so many of us, I don't know what it is. There's that settles over us and we're just on the fence. Uh, like the bloke I was talking to in the pub, well, you believe that, and I believe this, so what? Why are you coming in here bothering me? I can say a lot more about Gamaliel. On the floor, on the fence, I'll do this quickly, on the front line. They could have played for safety. They were arrested, they were warned, uh, they could have escaped at that point, they were imprisoned, an angel let them out, they could have escaped at that point. They faced the Sanhedrin. They faced Caiaphas again, who was the only high priest who got it right when he offered up Jesus as the perfect sacrifice, by the way. They could have escaped. They were whipped. They could have escaped, but they didn't. The guards came to arrest them. But this gospel is so powerful and so wonderful and nothing is going to stop it. And I was thinking this morning of General Booth. In Eastbourne, of all places, they said to the Salvation Army, you cannot preach the gospel anymore. Do you know what Booth did? He contacted every corps in the land and he said, all go to Eastbourne. Soon as you get off the train, preach the gospel. They arrested them. They arrested them, they filled up the prisons, they got schools, they turned into prisons, they put them in schools, and in the end, there were so many that they arrested that they had to say, we can't do this anymore, you can go ahead and preach the gospel. And Booth wrote a letter to every um, town centre and said, we have been given permission by Eastbourne to preach the gospel, and he was given permission by the gospel. We don't understand what the Salvation Army have done for us in church life. I mean, I think that is fantastic. You can't stop this gospel. It is spreading everywhere. 15 people a minute are becoming Christians. Maybe not in the West, but in, in the second and the third world, this gospel is spreading. When I thought about this, the, the relentless uh, commitment of these men to keep on preaching the gospel. Listen, as I finish, you have a calling on your lives this morning. You are called to do something. And you know, some of you, what you've got to do. And you've got to narrow your interest down to that thing and say, I am going to go for this. Life is so boring without a calling. But when you've got a calling, whether it's to preach the gospel, 
or whatever it is that God has called you, because there are different callings, there are different pressures in this room, you've got different jobs, and God is calling us to different things. But what I got out of that was, we've got to narrow our focus down, and we have got to fulfill our calling, whatever that is. There's something relentless about these guys. We must obey God rather than... We're not going to be stopped. They had four opportunities to run away, and they didn't, and they fulfilled it. They kept on going. I read about that pastor in Germany, Pastor Newman, preaching against Hitler in the 30s. Absolutely. Town mayor comes to him, the, the Gauleiter, stop preaching this, pastor. We love you. We don't want to lose you. And of course the Gestapo arrest him, put him in Bugenwald, starve him to death, whip him to death. All his letters from his wife, which you can read, they all speak of the joy and the privilege. What does it say, these guys? They counted it an honor to be persecuted for Jesus' sake. Listen, you have a calling. You have a distinct calling. Friday night, I went with Mike and Richard and some others. We went up to Biggin Hill uh, to a big hangar where we celebrated on, I hope you heard it on Radio 2. Did you hear it? You'd have heard me clapping. There were only two and a half thousand of us. And we celebrated 70 years of the Dam Busters. And it was all about a man who had an idea, who was so put down by those in authority. He said, this idea will save lives. This idea, if we, if we can break the enemy's hydroelectric ability and his dams, we will shorten the war. And the determination of Barnes Wallace to see that pro if you haven't seen the dam busters, watch it. Watch it and watch it spiritually with spiritual eyes and see that God bursts out against his enemies like a flood and a deluge. Barnes Wallace fulfilled his calling, his destiny. You look back at him now, I'm just amazed. What a wonderful time just thinking about his daughters were there and their voices and so on. You have a calling this morning, brothers and sisters. Narrow your focus down to that calling. Get that job done that God is calling you to do. What are you this morning? On the floor? On the fence? Or are you on the front line? If you're on the floor this morning, you can pick yourself up. You can pick yourself up. Start, brush yourself down. Start all over again. Amen. So, Lord, this difficult passage that we have grappled with, we pray, Father, that you will just... Uh, Oh, breakthrough with such grace in our hearts. So we do not want to hold the work of this church up in any way whatsoever. So if there's anything in my life, Lord, anything in our lives that we need to repent of and get right so that the flow of the Holy Spirit can be even more, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you will come in a wonderful way and bless us this so-called Pentecost Sunday, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right.